0: All right, it is good to be together, is it not? All right, is everybody ready for Christmas? No? (laughs) Made a little bit of snow to make it feel like the right season. Um, That 60 degree day last week didn't quite feel like Christmas did. Um, We are in week four of our Advent series. And this week, obviously, the theme, the title is love. Um, And so as we begin our our message today, I want to ask... Have you ever found out that you were getting a new boss? (laughs) Last week. (laughs) You've been at a place and you found out, hey, we're getting a new boss. Um, Maybe your old boss is leaving the company or they've gotten a promotion or demotion, um, moved out of the way. Maybe your position was getting reassigned to another team or another department or something. Um, Maybe there's a whole new owner of the business and they're changing things up or you transferred to a new department, you requested a move, whatever. Um, but you're going to find out who the new boss is, but you're, you're, you've been told you're getting a new boss. Now, was this good news? Was it bad news? Were you excited about it? Was this terrible, right? Did you dread this change? Were you uncertain about it? Did it bring more questions than answers? Were you just not sure how to feel about it? Well, the reality is that the the way that you feel about it is probably going to depend more on who your current boss is or your old boss was, right? Like, that's how you, it's going to shape how you feel about it. If you had conflict with the old boss, if you had problems or they weren't helping you or they were adding stress and anxiety to your work life, um, maybe they disrupted your work patterns, um, then maybe the news of a new boss would be the best news you've ever gotten. Like, praise God, answered prayer, that guy is out of the way. Um, there's this old expression, I don't know if you've you've heard it, I've heard it, I've experienced it, that people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses, have you heard that? So maybe like that's one of those things like, praise the Lord, the boss is gone, right? Maybe that's been your experience. But what what about those who had a great boss and you found out that boss was leaving? They got a, a promotion going to another department or they got a, a better job at a different company or, you know, they've gotten the recognition that they deserve for being this great boss. But they've given you opportunities to grow. They've helped you. They've, they've led you. They've laid out a plan for your future. And, and maybe you felt like as long as this person was was there, um, you had a, a, a good future at this company. You know, you felt confident and comfortable um, because they were there, but, but now they're gone. The reason I'm bringing up bosses, uh, supervisors, managers, all that stuff, talking about work, um, is because it kind of ties in to our scripture for today. Obviously, it's, it's not specifically about bosses, but the idea that there's going to be somebody new in charge, and, and how we react to that, and that, that how that same announcement, hey, you're getting a new boss, can be met by different responses, depending on your relationship with the current boss. So there's this story in, in the Bible, it's not our scripture for today, but the story of, of the three wise men, Right? the Bible doesn't actually say three, and anyways, but the, the, the magi, the wise men, come from afar, right, and they're, they're looking for baby Jesus, they follow the star, we know the story, right, and they end up in Jerusalem, in front of King Herod, who's the current king, and they say, hey, Herod, where's the new king? Well, that's a little bit awkward, is it not? And Herod's response to the idea that there's going to be a new king, a new person in charge, he didn't have the best response. He kind of freaked out a little bit. Um, he played it cool with the, the wise men and set them on their way, but then went out and gave the order to kill Babies under the age of two years old. Like he really was threatened by the new, the new boss, the new king, right? There's going to be a new person in charge, and that really threatened him. So we know as Christians that, that that Jesus was sent because God loved the world. And so when this announcement comes to, to Herod and says, baby Jesus is coming, God's love is coming to reign and rule, Herod says, not on my watch. This is a threat to his his position, his power, the way that he wanted things to be. The love of God was a threat to him. He experienced the coming of Jesus as judgment, as a competition. He experienced it as condemnation. He experienced it as as if somebody else is going to sit on the throne, it means he has to get off of it. He was humbled, maybe even humiliated, to hear of this new king. The coming of Jesus as the gift from God created fear. Herod, And and honestly, as we read the scriptures, he was the first of many that felt threatened by Jesus when he showed up. He was the first of many that that resisted, that pushed back against God's plan to reshape the world according to his love. But our scriptures for today focuses on somebody else who heard that Jesus was coming. Somebody else that heard about the love of God taking on flesh and coming to dwell amongst us and to, and to reshape the world the way that God wanted it to be. Our scripture today is about somebody else who heard that the world was going to be shaped according to God's love and they heard it as great news, as blessing, they even heard it as salvation. So while Herod heard about Jesus coming and it was a threat, the person we're going to look at today heard the message of Jesus as a message of salvation, it was something to praise God for. Now, it was the same Jesus, the same love of God, the same message of redemption and, and remaking the world, but one experienced it as a threat and the other experienced it as a gift. Our scripture for today is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And we're going to look at uh, a text of scripture called Mary's Song. Um, and so if you have your Bibles or you want to follow along on the screen or if you need a Bible, again, they're under the, the, ch- the backs of the chairs there. Um, but Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 45. It says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent away the rich, empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. Um, pray with me, if you will. Father, again, we are grateful for your word. Uh, we're grateful that you have preserved and empowered those to understand and translate and present to us today, that we can open Bibles, we can uh, open devices, look on screens and see the teachings and the, the stories of your people from long ago. That in and of itself is a bit miraculous. That through all these years you have uh, preserved your word and for that we're grateful. But again, we are not just grateful for the words on pages, ink and paper, but the word that became flesh. This love that came and dwelt amongst us. We're grateful for your son who brings us truth, who brings us peace, and joy, and hope that teaches us love and how to share it. May we as your church receive that word today, and may it shape us. May it light our footsteps on the path. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, The scripture that we just read, and I said it before we started, is, is sometimes referred to as Mary's song. Uh, sometimes it's uh, called the Canticle of Mary or the Magnificat, um, which is, comes from the Latin for the first few words in that scripture. My soul magnifies. That's where the word Magnificat comes from, if you've ever heard it referred to that. And it's actually a, a song or a hymn. And it's one of the most ancient hymns we have in the Christian tradition. It, they can trace it way, way back in church history. Um, And in fact, it's still sung in Catholic and some Orthodox and some Anglican services. You can Google, YouTube, whatever, Song of Mary, Magnificat, and you'll find both English and Latin versions of it. I listened to it a few different ways as I was preparing the sermon this week. Um, But that's an ancient, ancient song. And like I said, uh, this is Mary speaking or singing. Now, there's a story behind it. She didn't just wake up one day and just start singing. Um, there's a little bit of a backstory here. Uh, we may be familiar with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, they're not really part of the, the Christmas story exactly, but they're, they're in our scripture texts uh, around this time of year. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were, they were older people. They were faithful to God, yet they had no baby. They they couldn't have children. Zechariah was a a priest, and one day while he was performing his priestly duties, an angel appeared to him and told him he'd have a son named, anybody know? John, yeah, John the Baptist. Um, The angel said that John would be celebrated, that he would be great in the eyes of God, this was a big announcement. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born, the scriptures say. This is, this is a big deal. He will bring people of Israel back to God, he says, and, and the, it says he will go on before the Lord and the Spirit and the power of Elijah. He's going to turn hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. He's going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah didn't believe the angel. And the angel took away Zechariah's voice, he was unable to speak. But it did turn out Elizabeth was pregnant with John and the story continues. An angel appeared to Mary and informed her she was having a son. Mary had questions, obviously, read through there, she had questions for the angel. But ultimately she said to the angel, may it be as you say. So while she was wondering how this is all going to work, while she had doubts and concerns, she basically came to a point that said, I will follow, and may this be exactly how you say it is. And from that point, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, who was a relative of hers, and spent some family time together. And Elizabeth is excited to see Mary, John moves in her uh, in the womb, and the Bible says Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then at that moment she knew Mary was pregnant with the Messiah, the promised king, the anointed one of God. And so our scripture today, the text that we read a few moments ago, comes right after that. It was right after Elizabeth uh, sees Mary, talks to Mary, figures out that Mary is carrying Jesus and who Jesus is. And so she, she speaks that out, Speaks a blessing to Mary. And, and so the song is Mary's response to Elizabeth. Now there's a lot going on in the story. We could spend probably several weeks looking just at this scripture text. Um, there's a much deeper meaning going on. And, and if honestly, if you're on social media or you you've, you've read devotions this time of year or whatever, you'll, you'll probably catch some of these themes in other places. But, you know, Zechariah, the priest, is silent. Joseph doesn't even have a speaking part. Um, So there's some themes going on there. There's the the older woman who becomes pregnant after a lifetime not being able to conceive. Um, There's Elizabeth knowing what's going on, right? Uh, An angel told her about John, an angel told Mary about Jesus, but somehow Elizabeth knew about Jesus just from seeing Mary. There's a lot going on here. We could spend a lot of time breaking all that down, but... With this context, this is our backstory. I want to turn our attention to the actual words of Mary this week. As Mary responds to Elizabeth, her initial words are very personal. She says that her soul glorifies God. It magnifies God. She says that she will be called blessed for generations. She was humbled by the fact that God was mindful of her. She said that her spirit rejoices. She proclaims that God, the mighty God, has done great things for me, she says. And so, while on one hand, we have Herod hearing the coming of Jesus, the news that Jesus is on his way, and for Herod, it was bad news. Personally, it was bad. Mary heard about the coming of Jesus, and for her, personally, it was the best news she could imagine. So why the difference between the two responses? It's the same message, the same news, Jesus is coming. One saw it as a threat, one saw it as salvation. And again, this goes back to the the idea of having a new boss at work. Depending on what your relationship is with the current boss, it could be the best news or the worst news, and that's what's going on here. And so we're going to look at the rest of Mary's song to help us understand what is going on. We can have the next slide up. Um, There we go. And uh, just FYI, it's going to move kind of kind of quick with some of these slides. Um, Just heads up. Um, The difference between the two responses to the same message that Jesus is coming. Well, in in Mary's response, she says that his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Fear doesn't just mean to be afraid, but to honor, to respect, to understand the authority and the rule. Those who acknowledge God's kingdom will receive mercy. And it says that he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. So those who are proud, even proud in their most private thoughts, even those who are proud like in their own heads, are scattered by God. God is working ...against them, or more correctly, they are working against what God is doing in the world. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. As the gift of God arrives in Jesus, God is stripping the rulers of their power. He's taking kings off of thrones, removing their authority. God is revealing their vulnerability. The illusion of power that they wield... This is why Herod is terrified, because God is at work bringing down rulers of worldly kingdoms. He shows them as exposed and vulnerable to the one who has real power. And for those who are viewed as insignificant, maybe common, everyday folks living simple, humble lives, God is lifting them up. Mary, from nowhere, was seen by God, the scripture said. And was chosen by God. The world might declare that people like Mary are insignificant, out of the way, common, nothing special about them, but God doesn't declare that. And God's love restores their place in the world, He restores their dignity, their worth. You might not have gold, you might not sit on thrones, but you're not insignificant. Jesus later says that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Mary then goes on to say that he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. God's love being made present in the world through Jesus reorders things in such a way that those who are hungry get good things, it says. Not just leftovers, not just, well, they'll have something, but get good things. Not left to starve, not given scraps, but the very good things from God's great banquet table. Those who are hungry will get good things. However, those who pursue wealth, who desire material possessions, those who are driven by greed, driven by fear, those who have a desire to hoard, Mary says that God sends them away empty-handed. You have enough, God says. This table isn't for you. The next thing Mary says, and I think we have a slide for that as well, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So Mary says, all of this, God is doing this work and lowering kings and raising up the humble and feeding the hungry and sending the rich away empty, and he's doing all this, and it's not a new thing. God is remembering scripture says pointing back to a long history of caring for his people a long history of forgiving his people long history of saving the people of god and so mary knows that god is doing today what god has uh, done for the people of israel for a long time god has done this god has saved his people time and time again and so what god is doing in this moment is the very thing that god promised to do long ago And this is great news if you are merry. This is great news if you are hungry. This is great news if you are part of that forgotten, common, everyday people. This is great news if you're the one that the the old boss has been taking advantage of. This is great news if your hope is in the mercy from God. If your hope is in salvation coming from God. A world that is being reshaped, reordered by the love of God, being reordered by a new king or a new boss is great news if things weren't so great under the old boss. The current ordering of things, the current way of ruling the world, right? Mary says this is great news. Things are going to change. But this is terrible news if you're Herod. This is terrible news if you've accumulated wealth by hurting and exploiting others. This is terrible news if you think that your value, your power, your status comes from your place in worldly kingdoms. This is awful news if the love of God is going to be what shapes the world. If you've benefited from a a sinful world, a world of violence, exploitation, a world of might makes right, then this announcement that the world is going to be shaped by the love of God is awful news. When you read through the Gospels, read through other scripture stories about Jesus, who had the biggest problem with Jesus? It was the rulers, religious and political. It was the wealthy. They had the hardest time accepting his message. It was those who exploited and manipulated others that took advantage of people that were powerless and struggling to make it. The common everyday people flocked to hear Jesus' message because he was on a mission to raise up those who had been lowered, to raise up the humble, to reorder things based off of God's love for them and not who has the most power in the moment. When you read through the the rest of the New Testament, so not only the Gospels, but you read through the letters of, of Paul and Peter and some of the other writings about the church, Acts, right? And you see The church is having problems with people. There's always conflict in the church. The rulers, religious and political, had problems with the church. The wealthy and influential in these different communities that the church was growing in, they had problems with the church. Those who used their position to exploit or manipulate others had problems with Christians in the church. At one point, the followers of Jesus are accused of turning the world upside down. That's that was the charge against them. There's a the story that people went to go get the Christians and they couldn't find them, so they grab this guy named Jason, whose house the Christians were staying in, and they drag him in front of the, the judge and say, They're turning the world upside down. And in reality, that's what's going on. <laughs> this isn't just rhetoric. The world was being turned upside down by the love of God. But I don't want us to get too caught up into titles and classifications. It's not about how we label people today. The categories of rich and poor that Mary talked about um, in ancient Israel doesn't mean the same thing as it means today. I I don't consider myself wealthy at all. Like, I wouldn't say I'm rich, right? But I currently possess more material wealth than Mary probably did in her entire life. Like You take everything she ever owned and put it up against what I have in my, probably in, in my garage right now, I'm probably wealthier than her lifetime of wealth. And so the categories don't, don't line up perfectly ancient world to today. Rulers in the ancient world were by design a limited class of elite people. In our culture today, though, we have org charts and advanced degrees and seniority and celebrity influence and social influence. Even many what you'd call regular people today have more influence and authority over others than maybe even some of the rulers in ancient times. My, my first warehouse supervisor job, uh, I ran a department of 76 people. I was a 22-year-old college student, a um, religious studies major with two years of warehouse experience. And one day I went to work, and the general manager sat me down and slid a piece of paper across with human resources sitting next to me and said, here's your new contract if you want it. And I signed it, and that, as soon as I signed that paper, there were 76 people that had to do what I told them to do. I was now boss. <laughs> I wouldn't consider myself a, a ruler of any type, but... 76 people suddenly had to do what I told them to do because of the title and position that I was in. Of course, I had to do what my boss told me to do, and my boss and I, we had to do what our general manager told us to do. But the, the point is, let's not get caught up in titles and classifications because I don't think anybody would look at my life and say, well, there's a wealthy ruler. Right? I don't think you've ever come to church on a Sunday morning and said, well, is that our pastor or is, Is that the King of England? Like, get those confused. I mean, George accuses me of... um, (laughs) You've seen my garage. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But it's not titles. It's not status. It's not uh, a category, a classification that we need to look at today. It's our desires and our agendas. It's where we put our trust. Because our desires reveal where our hope is. Our desires reveal whether we are invested in the kingdoms of this world or the kingdom of God. Even poor people, people that we would consider, uh, in, you know, maybe even people living in poverty, can buy into the idea that the pursuit of money is the worthwhile endeavor. Right? You can have absolutely nothing, but you can still defend a system that promises you what you desire. Right? Um, very rarely is it that I, I go into the gas station and don't see somebody buying lotto tickets. They're, they're playing lotto because they don't have a whole lot of money, but they think that if they had a lot of money, if they won these millions, that would solve their problems, right? They put their hope in material goods. I haven't won the lotto yet, but I'm gonna keep playing. Not me personally, but um, that's the decision some people make. The pursuit of material goods has has left us worn out, stressed out, maybe even broke, depressed. But somehow, we come to the conclusion that the answer is to work harder, to sacrifice even more, to get more stuff. We can be so heavily invested in the kingdoms of this world that even though we aren't a wealthy king like Herod, we can be threatened by the love of God being made present through King Jesus who is shaping the world. Um, if you can have the next slide up, this is the, the truth that I want us to wrap our mind around today. God's love is experienced differently depending upon your relationship with God and with your desires. Mary and Herod had different responses to the news that Jesus was coming to rule. One saw it as salvation, the other saw it as a threat. Mary was overjoyed, Herod was afraid. Mary had faith. Herod had an agenda. Mary had hope in God. Herod had his personal desires. So for Mary, Jesus was an answer to generations of prayer. For Herod, Jesus was a threat to his years of scheming, of networking, and using his status and his wealth to increase his status and his wealth. Mary hears the news that Jesus is coming and says, may it be as you say. Herod hears the news that Jesus is coming and says, not if I have anything to do about it. Mary's faith opened her up to what God could do. Herod's desires and agenda put him not just outside the will of God, but against the will of God. So the song of Mary reminds us. We've got the next slide. I did a ton of slides today. I don't know why it was slide week. But the Song of Mary reminds us that God already has a plan. God already has a plan for the world and invites us to participate in it by aligning our lives to that plan. And that's what Mary did. May it be as you say. This this announcement came and it was challenging it was difficult and she didn't understand it, but she got to the point that says, I am going to follow God and live into God's plan. Herod, on the other hand, said, this isn't going to work for me, I have other ideas that involve me being in charge. I kind of like the way things are, so let's do what we got to do to keep it that way. And because of this truth, that God already has a plan for the world and that God is inviting us to participate in it, uh, we can't assume that God is working to help us achieve our plan. There's a a stream in Christian culture that has kind of taken a wrong turn along the ways that says you can do whatever you want and God's job is to help you. That my desires, my goals, my agenda is is what I'm about and then God's job is to help me achieve those things. But the truth is that my desires, my goals, my agenda don't automatically line up with God's plan simply because I'm a Christian. Just because I go to church doesn't mean that whatever I want to do is what God's God's up to. There's this long tradition in the church of history, uh, a history of praying for discernment, of praying for wisdom praying for clarity. There's this long tradition in the church uh, of praying that not only would God show us the way, but that God would give us the courage and the strength and the faith and trust to walk on the way. The gospel invites us to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. The sacrament of baptism invites us to, to die with Christ so we may be raised with Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul declares that he dies daily. What are these deaths? That we're talking about well it's death to selfish desires it's death to worldly ambitions it's death to sinful impulses and agendas it's it's a death to worldly treasures it's death to self-preservation it's death to greed and lust it's a rejection or abandonment of our agendas and it's taking the posture of our uh, of openness and obedience towards God And we call that faith. There is a force at work right now, reshaping, reordering the world according to a different set of values, according to a different set of rules, according to a different scorecard. That force is the love of God. Right now, the world is being remade, it's being redeemed, it's being reconciled, it's being recreated by God's love. Things built on anything besides the love of God are eventually going to come down. This is the, the Song of Mary. Anything built uh, on anything other than the love of God will eventually come down, fall apart, or revealed to be an illusion. And so as we take inventory of our own lives, as we reflect on the areas in our own lives, we can see what's been shaped by the love of God and what has not. What areas in our lives have been shaped by other influences? As we take that inventory, do you find that there's some places in your lives, some things in your lives where you feel a little bit more like Herod than like Mary? Any areas of your life, any relationships, any practices, habits, attitudes, plans, desires, agendas that God's showing up in would threaten you say I'll go to church on Sunday morning but I'm not going to give you this I'll put money in offering plate but I'm also going to put money into this whatever this is um, is there anything in your life that you aren't willing to submit to God's authority is there anything that you say like Herod says not on my watch not while I'm in charge not while I have a plan Somewhere along the way, we Christians started acting like saying yes to God was a one-time decision. We've kind of bought into this idea that once I pray that prayer the first time or say I'm a Christian, then that's that's the hard part. But for most of Christian history, saying yes to God was a daily practice. It was a practice of surrendering our own will, our own desires, our own agenda to God, and letting the love of God shape our lives. Um, Paul told me to give him notice to go get Cindy's. Now, if, he's probably out in the floor, can hear me, but if we want to go get the kiddos, uh, we're getting to the invitation. The invitation for us today is to let the love of God shape our lives to shape our relationships, to shape our attitudes. Because the truth is, and this is Mary's song, it's it's letting us know that if it's not shaped by the love of God, then it is working contrary to the will of God. And that never works out. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he lifts up the humble. So may we be humble before God. Again, God has a plan for the world God has a, an agenda for the world. It's already in motion. It's already working. And we can't assume that our plans and our agendas will just magically line up with that. And so let us be humble before God. Let us be obedient. May we be like Mary when we hear that Jesus is coming and say, oh, may it be how he wants it, not how I want it. May we see God's will and not our own.